0: Welcome to another episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast, where we interview top sellers and sales leaders to learn the different tips, tricks, and mental strategies that they use to create sustainable peak performance. Let's get rolling. Welcome to today's episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast. Our guest today is Ken Lundeen. He's the president of Ken Lundeen and Associates and Reheat Digital Marketing. His companies have worked with folks uh, just scraping past a million dollars to privately held unicorns and publicly traded companies. They demystify the go-to market for companies who wanna grow fast by creating predictable, systematic sales growth for B2B brands. Ken has a really cool background and story, uh, has bounced back from some pretty serious challenges in his life, and I'm really excited to hear him share about how he leads, how he shows up, and how he helps companies and organizations grow more effectively.
1: On today's episode, Ken, welcome on. Thanks for joining us. Well, let's rock, Jordan. This ought to be a blast, man. i I've been looking forward to this for a minute. I, I'm really pumped, uh, especially
0: knowing some of the different connections that that we share through HubSpot and other realms. So, talk to us a little bit and help our guests understand your background, how how you ended up in sales, uh, yeah. and
1: get us started. Yeah, I, you know, so sales. The 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 short version: sales my whole life, right? You know, it's it's one of those things you come out of college, you don't know what to do, so you go into sales. You know, even nowadays, there are a few sales degrees, but you know, those of us who have hired those people know those, those educations don't actually work the way they're supposed to. So, you know, kind of did that. Like when you fast forward to it, I had my first business ownership experience in 2006. Uh, came out, bought a company that I had helped run and helped build out of Phoenix, came out to Atlanta and, and bought that version. Anybody who knows the timing of 2006, it essentially means that I bought my house at the exact top of the market. It means I bought my business at the exact top of the market. Um, let's just say that up until recently, I was never really blessed with timing. So <laughs> went through that great recession, happened 2008 to 2009. And it's that entrepreneurship experience that, um, I guess what I would say really changed my life because um, it was December of 2011 and I got a knock on my front door um, and there's a guy who walked up and my 12 year old had saddled up to my, kind of my right side of my body, holding onto my leg. And there was a guy standing next to a truck in my driveway with the big blow ups like the Christmas stuff, sitting in the yard. And um, he said, sir, do you live here? I said, yeah. And he said, well, we just bought your house in an auction. And so it was that moment, you know, back then, the quick reason on how that could possibly happen is because back then you could refinance your house, but you had to let it be lapsed on your payments for 90 days. So you ended up with two different sides of the bank working the deal. One of them is I'm in a refinance mode, the other one sold my house out from under me. So, you know, it was a, it was a pretty dark moment. Um, but I think in that moment, the, the catalyst there and what we do and why we do what we do is. I don't want any other entrepreneur to ever have to go through that. And we've seen the downside of entrepreneurship, you know, too many people talk and we romanticize the idea of how easy it is to make a million bucks or to do different things. But we have to understand that there's an inherent risk. Um, and it's the respect for that risk. I think that helps drive our success today. Wow, that That is,
0: I'm a little speechless even thinking about how I, how I might show up or what my next steps would be from there. And so what'd you do from there to, to get back on your feet and to
1: get, I mean, the house for your family and like, where'd you go? Yeah, it was interesting. So, um, we had about 20 days to move. So we had to be out by new year's. Um, I had to figure out how to explain to my family, how, how could I possibly let this happen? My fault or not. Right. And you know, you take ownership in it. Um, had three children was, you know, I'm married to my first wife at the time, had to figure that out. And for those who think like, it's funny when we talk about when entrepreneurs or when people have been, who haven't been through the ultimate miss and the ultimate pay, the ultimate risk that you take as an entrepreneur, they talk about the moment of bankruptcy as if it's the bottom and I'll tell you what, it's the left side of the, you like, you're not at the bottom, you know? So honestly it took about two and a half years emotionally just to get right. Like, you know, just figured out how to talk to people. Like it was amazing. I went to, you know, it's, the other risk that happens is because I didn't have a successful exit from a business, even though I've been running a business for six years and I helped build a business from two to eighty million in four years. Prior to that, it was like I had no business experience. I had to take a mid-level sales job. Thank God for Insparity, though. They taught me how to talk to people, and and we, there's another one of my friends who's a good friend, and we said at that time we thought Insparity had the had a way of finding broken people who are high potential. Um, so we got in that environment over that two years, great people kind of helped me through it. But yeah, it was it was a two, two and a half year climb. And, you know, ultimately was fortunate, got my head right, and then was able to get to a VP of sales job two and a half years later, less than a year later, take another job as a senior VP, double that company as a fintech, um, and then off to the races and started to launch Ken Lindy and Associates. Wow,
0: that's that's a heck of a story. And Pretty crazy to see the transformation. I'm curious, like what, what changed in your mindset or your mental state when did you see a point when you got over that hump from the I'm broken, not sure how to even show up or engage with other people to, hey, I I I really see myself
1: now ready to show up and, and even move into a leadership role. Yeah, there was a specific moment actually in my life. I'd put the gym back into my life. And um, I was taking a phone interview outside of my gym. And I'm a guy like, you'll see by the end of this, like, I don't have a problem talking. (laughs) I'm that guy who goes into an interview process. Right. And I'm going to make the second round. That's, it's just a foregone conclusion. And, um, I had missed like four of them in a row, like hadn't had a hadn't had a callback on four different jobs. And I'm standing in front of my gym, getting ready for this one. And all of a sudden, at that moment, I realized that I had allowed my past to create my present. And therefore, it was creating my future. And so it was interesting about that exact moment. I actually got into the second round and I ended up taking that job as a VP, moving up from being a seller. But it was that idea of taking, it's, it's that idea of creating your own space and your own world, as opposed to consuming what the world wants to give to you. And that's probably even more appropriate today with the pandemic and politics and everything else. You have people who won't talk to each other over decisions, quite frankly, that they don't have any control over. You know, you got aunts and uncles who are yelling at each other about politics, who aren't talking. You got brothers and sisters who won't discuss it. You got parents who won't talk to their kids over all these different things so you know controlling you know it's kind of two things it was like controlling the narrative in my current state to allow it to build my future and then really really started at that moment to understand how i had to protect the energy that i was giving and getting from other things
0: that's really interesting and i I love how you talk about controlling the narrative and actually owning that because i think so many folks don't realize that we're in control of that chatter in the head, that, that mental story. And when you actually put some intention or direction behind it, amazing things can happen yeah. to the point of, oh, yeah, you know, casually like yeah, I took the company, doubled it, you know, grown significantly from, you know, I don't even have a house. Uh, my house was just taken from me it is a, a pretty, pretty fascinating shift.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because when you go from a victim's, when you go from a victim's mentality and most people wouldn't like to be associated with that. So they'll argue, that's not what they're saying. They'll say somebody owes me something, right? Something should be given to me something. I should be able to take something. And so, but when you move from a victim's you know, kind of mindset and you move into I'm going to control, I'm going to exert all the control I can over the things I can control. And I'm not going to let those things I can't control influence my day or my happiness. It's a massive shift in just your entire worldview, because I would argue that's the biggest shift that sales and sales leadership need to make today. Because there's too much of this just, oh, it's got to be given to me. Oh, it's got to be easy. It's like, own the, th- like, oh, marketing needs to give me better leads. Well, h- well, how about you just go actually, I don't know, talk to somebody and produce some of your own business.
0: It is it is really interesting, is there's always been that perpetual finger pointing, you know, leads aren't good enough, sales isn't doing their job well enough, and being able to take ownership of that. And I, I heard you mention ownership and, and accountability a little bit earlier. And I think that's such a powerful trait, in sales and in life regardless of where you sit i'm curious how did kind of the these stumbles or challenges along the way help you or change how you show up as a leader when working with
1: individuals on your sales team i think overwhelmingly good but there is a moment where it gets a little sketchy overwhelmingly good because my Messaging is you can create the future and the life that you want, whether you're an entrepreneur, or a CEO, VP of sales, or an individual contributor. And I know that you can create the life you want because we have salespeople who are about to be fired, only making their base that can make as much as a half million this year, only three years later. So I know that exists. The where it gets a little too much. I have a lot less tolerance for people who don't want to lean into it eventually. Right. Somebody owes me somebody has got to give me something, you know, that's great. You can do that, but you're, I promise you, you're not going to you know, get all the things in life that you want, you know, and it's just interesting because the other thing that comes with that mindset is that kind of taking, um is that you'll never reach your full potential because go back to like zig ziglar like and you're too young for zig but i'm sure you've read the book I guess <laughs> ziglar, yeah he he wasn't he wasn't uh t- too uh prominent or, or too uh yeah i think i think he was i think he was probably 90 when i saw him in the 90s right but he had a saying and it said it essentially said um you know, I had a brain fart. So it essentially said, you can have everything in life you want, if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. And it's so funny because that's the core of what we should be doing as sellers, right? Here's the truth. You're only, your company's only uniquely qualified to solve somewhere between three and five large business problems. And you should be vetting out, are those business problems big enough for that company? And am I going to help them? Instead, what we're doing we're being a taker is where we've got commission breath that's just nasty and smells and needs some scope. And it's just we're pushing it on everybody. We're just trying to get to the deal. And we're not actually helping. And I think that becomes inauthentic. And quite frankly, that's when you get the separation between the people who go, I'm a different person at work than I am at home. Because if you're a different person at work than you are at home, find another profession.
0: Yeah, this, there's so many Oh, so many really good, good pieces in there, by the way, I've never heard anybody say commission breath and it just hits so perfect. Uh,
1: I- <laughs> I'm sure I stole it from somebody. I'll be honest, oh, but I can't, I don't, don't even know, know. How to give it an attribution to. That, that that's how life works you know i uh, have a, a book that i read as i did this uh
0: program with seth godin called his alt mba and it's like steal like an artist you know how do you
1: yeah.
0: take something from someone else and maybe you put your own unique perspective on it and make it your own but i, I love that one I, i'm curious so how do you test for that something like that in an interview process when you're looking at hiring new sellers how, how do you understand like are they
1: in this you know giving mindset or more of a, a taking mindset Yeah, it's interesting because I think most people interview for the wrong things. Um, So first, I think the first thing we do wrong in interviews is we sell our company too hard. We spend so much time selling the position of the company that we don't actually learn about the people that we're doing. Like We've got a very structured four-step interview process to hire people because... And it's got everything from we want to create pressure in one interview to where we want to feel like a date in another interview to where we want to do a presentation in another interview. So we've got a very, very structured process that we follow. And when you're testing for it, I think it's really important to have some non-negotiables that are not on the job description. So as an example, what would non-negotiables be? Um, I want somebody who can show that they can be a student and a teacher in the exact same conversation. Right. There's a moment when I want to see that they want to learn what I'm talking about and they're there. And then there's a moment when they have a chance to show me their expertise and show me that they can be the teacher. They must exhibit curiosity. Right. At all times and curiosity, if you are naturally a taker, or if you're naturally somebody who's not prone to owning that responsibility, you're less curious because your worldview is more refined on how you want things to come to you rather than how you want to contribute to the world. Right. And so I think those are, those are a few of the things when I start thinking about how you interview that you can look for those types of attributes. Th- those are some really good ones. I-, I
0: love this concept of student and teacher uh, in, in a similar, you know, breath almost where it's like, Oh yeah, you can be the educator. You can be somebody that, that can add value. And you can also sit there and say, Hey, I'm curious and let me help understand or learn and develop and grow.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Think about the best teachers you've ever had. They understood. They asked you a couple of questions before they answered. Right. We're it's all like, selling. yeah, it's the, it's the difference between answering an objection with your assumption and answering an objection because you understand. Mm. Right. Because most of the time somebody says, I don't have the resources to do that. And then we go, Oh, that means price. Oh, that means people. Oh. And then we just, we go after the one. Well, resources can mean so many different things. Hey, you know what? I hear that a lot, but it always means something different. What do you mean by resources? Right. I'm curious enough that I can actually then answer the true concept that we're talking about. I'm not assuming that I know it. Oh, that's great. I think that's awesome. And so to,
0: to pivot a little bit, I'm curious, you mentioned earlier bringing the gym back into your life. Um, what are some of those routines, or, or how do you help yourself show up at, at your best? What are those things that you need to do for yourself in a given day that help you really perform and sustain that performance?
1: So, first thing we got to do is, 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 I think, you know, a lot of times start with what not to do. Right? Those are the easier ones, right? What not to do? There is no such thing as work-life balance. Okay. By definition, balance essentially means equal weight. And there's almost no way that you can make them equally weighted. But work-life alignment is something you can strive towards. So that's what I do. So we we strive towards work-life alignment rather than looking for some sort of balance. I know that when I do certain things outside of my professional sphere of sitting in calls like this and talking to clients and and talking to our consultant base, I know that I perform better as a human because I'm looking to optimize. Like I'm an ant, like people like, Oh, you're a gym guy. I'm like, no, I'm an anti aging guy. Actually. I just want to be able to perform at my best as long as I can. Like I, I, I honestly, somebody says, Oh, like I turned 50. I don't know, two months ago. And people are like, oh, this is part of aging. Now, this is a family-friendly show, so I won't show you which finger I give them. Because it's just not, It's no, that's because you choose to accept the status quo. So for me, I know there are a few things. And I don't have to be overly anal, but I do have to be disciplined. So I have to be disciplined about my time I get to the gym. Because the gym is a place where I get to expel some of the stress of the day but it also ends up being a really cool spot, especially on the days I want to put an audio book in the back while I'm working out where I'm not really listening, but my subconscious mind's drilling it, man, I accomplished some cool creative stuff in that space. Right? So one, I get to de-stress Two, I know it's proven when I'm, when I'm physically in a better place, I'm more mentally in tune. Right? So we know that we have those things. That doesn't mean that I don't go have a bottle of wine on Friday and Saturday or two with my fiance. That doesn't mean we don't go eat a nice dinner. That doesn't mean we do the other thing. So I'm looking to achieve alignment around these things rather than come to some sort of balance or all in because there's the other mistake. You know, I'm going to change everything about my life today and lose 22 pounds in the next week. It took you four years to put the weight on. Be okay that it's going to take a second because small habits are better. Like, there's a great book, and I forgot the author's name called Atomic Habits Systems Matter More Than Goals. So, you follow that, and those are some of the things that we do. I love that.
0: Huge James Clear fan uh, yeah. of Atomic Habits. It's uh, fascinating to see how accessible identity change is to your earlier point, when we take conscious focus of what it is that we want to accomplish and how we want to get there and take ownership opposed to blame victim mindset. Uh, You were talking to me earlier before we hopped on about another struggle that you ran into with the gym being such a, you know, important piece of your routines, your health and anti-aging. Um, also happy belated birthday. Uh, it's it's uh, awesome to see that, you know, still pushing and seeing how you can move on this anti-aging mindset, which we might need to talk a little bit more about too, but talk to me about the recent challenge you had with, with your consistency in the gym and how you had to change your approach or,
1: or reframe a little bit recently. Yeah. Yeah. So about eight months, uh, actually, I don't know how many months it was March 9th. So March 9th. Uh, I was doing a 500 pound deadlift, um, and my bicep tore in the middle of the lift. And so it tore like for the bicep connects to your forearm and then it kind of up in your shoulder and under your pec, And it tore off my forearm completely. So, um, so that happened on March 9th, eight days later I had surgery. Um, you know, the, sur- the surgery, for those of you who are watching on video, you can probably see the scar, um, but the I had surgery eight days later, um, was in some form of splint or something for the next four months. So most people would then go, "Oh, I'm done." I took a different approach. I was out of the gym for one week. And I went back into the gym and I worked unilaterally, which means the one side that didn't have it in the splint. I did legs, did everything else. And you know, what's funny about it because I exercise. This is really about. I don't know if there's even any research on it to be truthful with you, Jordan, but I think I exercise the power of the mind in this whole concept. I had a couple of people tell me, they said, Ken, if you'll just keep working the side of your body, you can growth hormones of a flood and your, your side that's hurt will stay similar. Like the worst thing anybody in the gym wants is to all of a sudden have like an 11 inch left arm and a 16 inch right arm, right? they said but if you'll do this this is what's helped me and so the problem was i'm a research heavy guy and so nine times out of ten i'm going to go google that and i'm going to google it in about 17 different searches so that i can figure out different ways that people could be talking about it um but here's what i did different i decided not to i just believed that was the thing and i can tell you four months later out of the splint Permission within six months to start lifting again. My left side of my body and my right side of my body were completely symmetrical coming outside. They were the exact same size. But that's one. So, my power of belief. But the second thing I think that's probably the most important component about that I didn't do it because of the physicality of it. I did it because mentally my world would have been a freaking train wreck if I had to eliminate such a big piece. And so you can find ways people to do the things that keep you right. Now, was I mentally enjoying it as much? Heck no. But you can find ways to lean into those types of things that you enjoy, even when you feel like you're not able to do it.
0: Wow. That's really interesting. I uh, tore my labrum and partially tore my biceps in college and got surgery. And just totally remember going through that recovery process and having like the scrawniest little left shoulder ever. And I still don't have very big shoulders anyway, but my right one was significantly larger. (laughs) And it was a really fascinating thing to hear you talk about. Like, yeah, you know, if I go out there and I keep working that one side and, and, you know, keep myself moving opposed to, I just go back right now to memories of just laying on the couch Uh, You know, having a machine running ice through there and all sorts of stuff, Um, man, it's it's powerful to think about what could be possible there and how the body does tend towards, you know, homeostasis or equilibrium when we keep moving and getting in there and knowing that you're not going to get the same workout that you have had historically, but still showing up and doing that hard thing. Uh, it is really impressive. I'm I'm curious, are you a morning gym guy,
1: afternoon? W- what is, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the, uh, I'm the strange creature who based on my schedule goes whenever I can. So oh. mostly, mostly that's somewhere, you know, afternoon, evening, but it could be 5am or it could be between clients if I've, if we've got a busy day or something. So it's my fiance thinks I'm crazy because if she doesn't go to her scheduled time, she doesn't go.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're crazy, too. So how do you like what's what's the, uh, you know, <laughs> but are they
1: mutually? Those are they, they are mutually, they, right? It's good.
0: No, is there
1: a mental struggle
0: that you have with yourself? So I find for me, if I don't do the gym in the morning, it gets through the later part of the day. I, I'm far less likely to actually get there sure. and yeah. then, and there's like mental chatter in my head of like, oh, I really should work out, but I don't know. I got other stuff I can do now. Does that show up for you at all? Or is it something that you just know you're getting to the gym every day, regardless of what happens?
1: Yeah. I usually pick what time I go to the gym the next day, the previous night based upon just what the schedule is. Cause my schedule um, can go anywhere from, you know, having six hours of open time for admin work to being on nine hours of straight calls. And, you know, it's what's interesting about this conversation to me is not only the idea of the discipline that it takes and how you do it, but the reason I do fitness and talk about it so actively in our work is because everything we've spoken about in the last eight minutes related to this, is about how to become a world-class sales organization individual contributor or leader you have to understand your people and you want to move to homeostasis which means even if everything they've ever done has never produced a sale in the history of mankind they still want to keep doing it right if something's difficult to do right if it's something they're not familiar with they need to put it on a schedule in order to make sure it's accomplished because otherwise they'll get to the end of the day and they'll avoid it. That's why people go, what, what is it with you and fitness and business? That's what it is because I think there is no better way parallel between what it takes to be successful in business and what it takes to be successful in the gym. When I tore my bicep, it's the same thing. Like I was on a bulk, i gained 25 pounds, but I did it intentionally then I had to cut. You can't add muscle and lose weight at the same, like there are things like that in your sales organization that you have to choose. What is the priority and not be working on trying to do 72 different things all at the same time, but get focused in order to create change. I digress. No, that I, I think that is
0: so perfect because clarity is so powerful, understanding where it is that we want to go. And I've got a belief that our school system has pretty much trained most of us to just go where they tell us to go yeah. and not really understand the why or not create our own intentionality around where do we want to go and why do we want to get there? And then that brings the discipline, that brings the scheduling, that brings the level of importance or the urgency of why we would need to do that. And this is what we have to help our prospects through in so many cases or our yeah. teams through to understand. So I, I love that. And I, I've got to go back to some of the anti-aging stuff. What, yeah. The gym is a big part of it. Anything else that you do uh, to, to help yourself there?
1: Yeah, so we'll do some stuff. Like So um, when you think about it, especially as you get older, and most of this stuff, by the way, everything I'm going to say at 50, they say if you started doing it at 30, you'd be better off. Okay, so it's it's progressive. So one is um, when you think about anti-aging, you have to think about it at the cellular level and so there's something and i won't go i won't go crazy technical but there's something called senescent cells which are essentially dead cells that don't get expelled from your body those create inflammation and if you look all the major diseases that your body can go through are a function of inflammation so you want to like think about things anti-aging it's more cellular so as an example there's blues like just things behaviors that others do There's these things called blue zones in the world, and that's where the people who live the longest live. Well, most of them have some sort of fasting regimen within their routines, religiously or otherwise. Well, fasting is one of the ways to get rid of senescent cells, not intermittent fasting, folks. That doesn't do it. That's just a way that's a window to eat. But fasting gets rid of senescent cells, which helps decrease inflammation, which can help you live longer. So there's that there's things that you can help with that. So I'm a big NAD guy. I can't say the actual words out, but if you look up NAD plus, it's there's a company called true there are a bunch of other ones that I've used that's supposed to help at the cellular level. Um, And so for me, that's when we talk about anti-aging, the goal is this. I often ask people and I'll summarize it with this. So Jordan, if you could live to be 120, would you? If I can have vitality for sure. See, and you answered the question right because we've been there. Because nine nine and a half times out of ten, anyone I ask says no. The reason they say no is they presuppose the decomposition and the, the lack of muscle mobility, the lack of um, mental clarity, all those things. And so, when I think of anti aging, you know, my goal, you know, is is you know, I want to look, I want to be seventy five, and you know, and look like I'm forty five not just from a looks perspective, but I want to be sharpened and tuned mentally. I want to know that I can go do things, you know, I just uh, here's the, the only thing I know is this, everything else that we've talked about, you can tell me I'm full of it. I've got one reasonably guaranteed fact. The body you're in today is the only one you're going to get.
0: So, Take true. Care of and and so many people again, I think have just been conditioned to to your point. And I love that you bring this up that yeah, my body's gonna decay and it's going to, you know, not be functional hundred years from now. And I, I've got a suspicion or belief that probably by the time I'm, you know, 70, 80
1: years old, we're gonna see people live into 120, 140, maybe you know, yeah, I you're think starting that. to see 110 right now. And then there's a couple of good books too, if you're anyone's interested. So I didn't like his stuff when he did Bulletproof coffee, would be Bulletproof coffee. Cause I thought that was a little, you know, hanky, but Dave Asprey has a great book called superhuman. Um, so that's a good one that talks about it. And then Ben Greenfield has a really good book and I can't remember the name of it, but it's one of those books that it's like it has 72 chapters or something. But it's set up so that you can go just you're supposed to just read the chapter on the thing you want as opposed to read a book from front to back. And so it serves more like an encyclopedia of things around the idea of anti-aging. Super cool. I'm a, a big
0: Dave Asprey fan, but haven't read Superhuman yet. So we'll, we'll add that to the list. But I've got to get a little bit more depth from you on, on how do you fast. I, I've got one coming up here uh in about a few days, actually. So I'm curious yeah. uh what's a fast look like for
1: you? yeah so there's a um so it's interesting if you go tim ferris had one and i can't remember the doctor he had tim Ferriss had somebody his podcast probably five years ago and she took over and did a three hour you know he always has long ones did a three hour version of what fasting means so i think the first thing you have to understand is that um fast has no impact at the cellular level based on what i've read and been told at anything under 20 hours right so that's the first thing if you're not fasting at least 20 hours you're not doing the cellular components. Um, Second is um, when I fast, I started on a Sunday because that's the, I'm usually the grumpiest. And then I get into like my work week. And then literally you can go three to five days. And in most cases, um, I break my fast just because I'm bored at some point, not because I actually feel hungry. Um, But the other thing too, when you think about your fasting, it's kind of about your, some of your goals, should fast quarterly and then when you do that in addition to that know that when you fast for three days it has X impact when you do it for four days it's like x times three like each successive day has an exponential impact on how well that helps for the getting kind of getting things healthier at the cellular level for you um, and so that's what I'd say typically you're, you know if I'm gonna do a fast I'm gonna run three to five days.
0: Yeah. It's been fascinating for me through my experiences where I feel excellent four days in five days in. And again, as you think about the programming in our heads and our kind of mental operating system, I'm sitting there saying, Oh, I haven't eaten in you know 12 hours and I'm starving. And the yeah. language that we use around that is we're nowhere near starving. Yeah. We have so much more that you can do. And when I've gone on days four and five, my mental clarity is there. My body seems to just work so much more effectively. And I did not believe that was going to be the case when I first got into it. It's amazing, yeah. amazing what the body can do that we don't necessarily give it credit for. And then you think about the long-term effects uh, around anti-aging and you know
1: cleaning out these cells, like really, really cool and powerful stuff. Yeah. Cause I'm cl- think about it this way. Like I want to be very tangible, right? Go do the research, folks. Don't believe me, but. The majority of illnesses are based upon the inflammation in our body. And by definition, that comes from the idea of senescent cells. So that's all the way it goes back. So like, if you don't, if you have any desire at all, not to have cancer or diabetes or pick some big, big killer, these types of things are worth thinking about. I mean, let's, I want y'all to live as long as you can, and as long as you want to. Love it. So talk to me about, you know, let's say you're, you're
0: working with the sales team and things don't go perfectly. I think I know where you're going to take this, but how how do you help, how do you help them bounce back or or what do you do to take that next step
1: forward? Yeah, I think it depends whether you're talking about working at the individual contributor level, or if you're talking, talking to the managerial level, I think in either case, I can make a few generalized recommendations. One is, Um, If you don't have a well-defined system sales process that is aligned to your buyer's buying process, that's a significant challenge for you within your sales organization um and that can create bad quarters so that's one two is when people talk about oh they're like they had a bad quarter they had a bad time most of the time it's because you've set yourself up for that because you have belief systems like oh people only buy in march and december or oh we measure results quarterly but we don't actually do pipeline reviews every quarter like you should know if you have control over your pipeline Day one of the quarter, let's say you have a standard kind of 90 to 150 day enterprise sales. Day one of the quarter, you should have a 90% idea of where your number is going to end up, give or take 10%. And if you can't, as an individual contributor or a manager, do that for your whole team, that tells you that there's some things in there and some significant inherent risk in the variability of their production. And so if you see where they're hitting in Q1 or Q3 and not in two and this kind of stuff, Um, Or you're seeing where you're having thoughts like, man, if I could only clone Johnny. Right. That that really tells you, you know, because we believe sales is not a black box. Okay, it is not more art than science. If you do the science right, it lets you become a fantastic artist. Picasso was technically fantastic, which allowed him to execute on the art.
0: Interesting thought. I, I think this is cool because I've heard so many people talk about sales as this black, mysterious box that you never know anything about. Uh, and I think there is so much that you can learn from the the leadership side of things. You know, I, I think implementing change can be really challenging. And I've seen it fail many, many, many times. Yeah. What do leaders need to do or what qualities do they need to bring to the table to really help implement larger scale change across their organization.
1: The number one tip I'd give leaders is this, you have to look for, seek and address points of friction. Because oftentimes what we'll do as leaders is we'll tell people why to do something, what they should be doing, but we don't have enough information on how to do it or what they should do next. So we're like, Hey, go contact 22 people on LinkedIn. We think we've been clear. And your rep is sitting at their desk going, what am I going to say? Who should I contact? Why should I do that? What does that look like? And so I think one of the biggest missing traits here that is in sales leadership to a man, to a woman, whatever, but very, 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 very significant is we don't have enough respect for the things that have to happen inside a process to actually make it function. Right. We know how to press play on the outside of the dishwasher, but we don't understand what's actually making the dishwater spin and the water come out. And in your specialty of sales, you have got to know that to help your people through those really, really difficult moments. As an example, how do you navigate a cold call? Right. So you do this thing, they ask, they ask a question, what happens if the question go the question the answer to the question from the prospect probably go one of say four ways each one of those may require that a different path be spun so if you're not talking at that granular level when you're implementing change or at least respecting the fact that that much friction exists they will go back to the way they've always done things before Yep. And uh, that's why I love going back to like
0: atomic habits and some of those things to understand how do you change the identity, how do you change the beliefs and folks that you know may go beyond just, hey, make the calls, hey, make more dials. You know, it's it's got more depth to that than uh, I think a lot of leaders have given credit for, where it's just been this command and control culture versus let's understand where are the challenges, what are the friction points, and how do we make it easy for folks to adopt that new change. Uh, that yeah. A lot of times may not just happen in a
1: 30-minute meeting. <laughs> yeah, well, let's say the obvious that nobody's saying. Sales has gotten, okay. sales like, we like to say, oh, we only get paid if we sell. We're a pay-for-performance culture. We have on-target earnings. The latest stat I said said 75% of sellers aren't going to achieve 75% of quota and nobody's being turned over and no processes are being improved and we're not getting in addressing the friction sales has gone from a noble profession that created high earners based on their ability to do the work into one that actually promotes a lack of accountability and a lack of success and is okay with the vast majority of your sellers being underperformers and average earners So what needs to happen in organizations now to to transform that? We have to put a stake in the ground that change is happening and you must follow through. And then you must be very, with that, it's got to be, okay, we have three strategic initiatives. These are the only three that matter for the next six months. Because the reason your sales team gets confused, owner, leader, entrepreneur, CEO, or VP of sales, the reason they get confused is that you tend to shift the priority just slightly on an ongoing basis. As an example, in my business, with my consultants, I uh, the sense of urgency I have around the changes in my business is always going to be greater than that of my consultants. It's going to be f- like, just it's going to be faster. Right. And so I will iterate so I could talk to him this morning and then not talk to him again until tomorrow night. I've done 48 hours of iterations on the idea and then tomorrow night i'm going to bring i'm going to go to them and i'm instead of showing them how a b c and d lined up i'm going to show them d and they're going to be completely disconnected so the problem we have to do is pick the right a pick the right one stick to it enforce it coach it help it and push it for success and we have to go slower to speed up like in your organization if you can fix one thing, pick the one thing that's going to have the most impact. Fix it, get it to where it's running, and then pick thing number two.
0: I love that. Back to this focus, clarity, and understanding of where you're going. I, I think it's an awesome theme. Yeah. So I like to wrap up with a couple uh, rapid fire questions with, with short answers from you here. Um, short answers. Who we'll you talking see. to? We'll see. We'll we'll try and make it easy on you, though. Uh, Do you love winning or dislike losing more?
1: Dislike losing. Easy. What does success mean to you today? Putting myself in a position where that I have options. I love it. Creating uh, a lot
0: of potential doors. Yeah. And we, we got some of this already, but what's your favorite interview question to ask somebody for a leadership role?
1: I love hearing about uh, something like this. Uh, tell me about the most difficult circumstances you've ever had to deal with that over the course of three months, you were successful getting somebody to change their behavior. Oh, we, we know you you got a great story for that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, Ken
0: Lundin, where, where can our folks find you, follow you? I think you got some awesome wisdom to share.
1: Uh, where are good places to find you. Yeah. So probably I'll give you, I'll give you three quick things, right? So one is um, our digital marketing agency is RevHeat as in RevenueHeat, R-E-V-H-E-A-T.com. Second, you can go to com, which is L-U-N-D-I-N.com. And then third, and here's the thing I would, here's the offer to actually make. Um, Go to LinkedIn. I put, we post a ton of content. I post a ton of content. We think it's valuable. It's stuff like you've heard today and uh, mostly on sales um we post a ton of content and then if you want uh reach out to connect with me and tell me that you heard this podcast and if there's anything going on in your world i'll give you a free 30 minute strategy call it won't be with one of our salespeople; (laughs) it'll just be you and me and we'll have a quick conversation see whether or not i might be able to point you in the right direction on what you're trying to accomplish
0: well, that is beautiful. I, I appreciate you being uh, so generous with your time and sharing because you obviously have a wealth of knowledge and experience around how do we set ourselves better as humans? How, how do we create a uh, more vital and thriving future so we can go do all the things that we want to do so we can yeah. have excellence within our, our work that can lead to fantastic uh integration within our life and not just try to play this balancing and juggling act all the time so ken lundee thank you so so much for joining us there's awesome awesome stuff in here Uh, and until next time let's go make today great it's thanks to help from listeners like you this podcast can continue to grow and help others if you found anything helpful in today's episode please take a second share with a friend and leave us a five-star review on itunes or wherever you get your podcast today thanks